Welcome, welcome back to Joker Men Podcast, season four of the, the the arbitrary kind of like arbitrary season breaks that we have. We're back, Bob in the twenty first century. Can you believe it, Ian? It's been a long and winding road, but here we are on a bright sunny morning in September. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Do you want to introduce our very special guest? Uh, yeah. Well, we are uh, we are joined here uh, to kick off Twenty uh, First Century Bob with Love and Theft, uh, the incredible record. We're joined by musician Jack Ladder, uh, all the way from. Did we say Melbourne? No, no. I'm from Sydney. Sydney. Okay. I don't know why I thought it was Melbourne. I don't know. We got conflict between Melbourne and Sydney, so. Yeah, there's uh, the, the, things have been very different in those two uh, places during this whole uh, time, right? Haven't things been super chill in one area and not so chill in another area? Oh yeah, yeah. Victoria got the full like months and months of lockdown, right? Um, yeah, and Sydney's very relaxed, and I, I live outside of Sydney, so I'm fine. Yeah. Very beautiful. Fine, yeah. And it's Monday over there for you, isn't it? Monday morning, yeah. Monday morning. You're in the in the future. Yeah, this is a real uh, this is a real global uh, globalist episode of uh, Jokerman here. It's it's Sunday evening here in the states, so we are we are traveling through time in this conversation. The Jokerman yeah. International is really taking yeah. flight, <laughs> um, and so you already know everything about who won Oscar gold, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're in, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're we'll in find the, out. We're not allowed to say. Yeah, we go to NDA. But we're not talking about Oscar gold today. We're talking not about not tonight. Perhaps a, 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 here's here's a. I'm going to make a flying leap with this transition. We're talking about a golden disc, perhaps a great record. Fantastic, good album, and one that. We, why do we all want to talk about it? That's what we're going to get down to today on on Jokerman podcast. What it is? What it is about? Love and Theft from September 11th, 2001. <laughs> the most significant thing to, to have happened on that day, Love and Theft being released. It's a close second. Uh, the other, the other reg- the regrettable events of that day. I don't think there's anything regrettable at all about this album coming out. Okay, I'm glad you... T- <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I can keep this up for the entire episode. My girlfriend's birthday is also September 11th, but not... Not that September. Not that 11th. September eleventh, right? Yeah. Boy, yeah, that'd, no. that'd be awkward. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's also uh, Alex Cameron's birthday. My friend. Alex no Cameron. way, really? really? Yeah. Well, that's how I initially met you, Tim. Your yeah. your real name. Um, yeah. In the context of, I believe we were all hanging out with Jonathan Rado at his studio, and then we all went to see. Uh, good time, the, the movie. Good time. Oh yeah, we went to see Good Time in Los Feliz. Yeah, at the little the little twin theater in Los Feliz. Yeah, yeah. I think I fell asleep. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a tough movie to fall asleep during. Yeah, that, you are. Um, you're talented at sleeping if you can do that. There's like a bank robbery within like two seconds, and then it doesn't stop from there in that film. Yeah, I think I was really tired because every time I go to LA, it's always just like nonstop 
And I'm used to just sleeping a lot. Yeah. In my quiet little yeah. home away from that filthy place. Which, oh, it's not so bad. Which filthy place, Australia or Los Angeles? <laughs> you don't have to answer that. Let's get into the music. We're going to talk about the first track, but first, Ian, why don't you um, honk on Bobo for me? Or I guess we could, should we call it something different now that it's like the official Bob Dylan sanctioned harmonica? How about Bob Bob? Um, Tim, if you don't know, we blow on a little harmonica. Is this a new thing you've introduced? Well, it's something we've always had was a little harmonica sound effect. And only recently, sort of recently, did we get a real harmonica. But as of literally last night, we have the Bob Dylan branded... It's a Honor? Yeah. Yeah, it's a Honor. Bob Dylan signature series Honor harmonica. Oh, wow. What key are you in? C. C. Yeah, we had an F before. Now 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 we're at C. It sounds pretty good. I guess without any further ado. Pretty good, right? It's nice. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> it sounds to be like Bob. Exactly. It, uh, it, it even says on the back of the box, it helps, it helps artists <laughs> like Bob Dylan express themselves um, more easily. <laughs> <laughs> more easily. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it'd be very hard if, you know, he had a song to play in C and then he didn't have the, the harmonic. It really makes it easier. Exactly. Mm. Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. What a song. Side one, track one. Incredible. Before we get really into the, into the uh, I just want to ask, maybe we can go around the room. What was everybody's like first experience with this record? Where were you? On that day, (laughs) (laughs) September 11, 2001. Did you listen to it that day, the day it came out? I did not listen to it the day it came out. Yeah, (laughs) a little preoccupied. Was my um? I think it was my first year at university. Actually, 2001, and uh, I think I stayed home and watched the TV. Yeah. Let's, let's let's change the subject slightly. <laughs> <laughs> when was the first time you heard this album? Uh like pretty recently. It's not a record that I, I was ever that that I was drawn to. And um I got really into Time Out of Mind. And then maybe I I, I tried to dip into Love and Theft. And yeah. I, I just I wasn't ready. You know, I think that's the yeah. thing with so many Dylan records. You, you're going to be personally ready to, to go there. And, um, and I like to save them, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm saving them throughout my life for the, for the points when, uh, when I, when I need to hit. Yeah. You can kind of savor them. Uh, and you don't want to, you don't want to binge on them too much. No. I mean, what are you going to do? Binge like 50 records. Yeah, exactly. You know? That would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? Binge 50 records and then podcast about them weekly for a year? That would be insane. That okay. sounds absolutely insane. Yeah. yeah that'd, be, that'd be such a weird thing to do. Anyway, yeah. when did you guys discover um, Love and Theft? Well, gee, I, I mean, I think that this record. It was one that I think took me a while to fully appreciate. 
Yeah. It was one that I was like aware of, but um, yeah, I guess it always seemed like one of these grown up albums to me. Like uh, even just looking at Bob Dylan's discography, like some of them you think like, Oh, this is like fun. And some of them are like, Oh, that's a cool one. But this one is firmly for the longest time in my mind was like, this is at a coffee shop where like you have to be 21 to buy this. Like, but you, you would only really buy it. Like if you were, you know, the type of person you're maybe you're driving like an Audi or a Saab and you like get your unsweetened coffee and you, you really appreciate like finer, the things. finer things in life. Yeah. It's a Carlos album. It's a gentleman's choice. Very much so. exactly. Yeah, that's that's how it feels. And um, now that I I you know am a a gentleman, a gentleman and a connoisseur, uh, or you know I, <laughs> I I think it's an aspirational album in a way. Where like now I I listen back to it and I I fancy that I can um, be that guy that that man that gentleman who um, would would listen to this calmly and w- while I go about my tasks. And actually mm. this is what I do now. And so I feel like <laughs> I've come of age. You have indeed made it. Yeah. Now I can yeah, go and listen to this um, while I'm commuting to work or uh, hanging something on a wall in my home. Yeah. I came to this one later too. Uh, for some, like for whatever reason, it was similar to what you mentioned a, a second ago, Tim, like every, everyone listens to time out of mind. Like that's the one like latter day Dylan record that like, you know, everyone kind of vibes with yeah. uh, for whatever reason. But I think love and theft in modern times, certainly uh, after this are like harder records to get into for some reason. And I think part of that is because of the music the way it sounds and like the direction he ends up going in. Um, and it, it doesn't have that kind of like mythic legendary status that time out of mind has either where it's like the comeback after so long in the wilderness and the Lanois aspect, that, you know, it's the producer and stuff. So I definitely let this one kind of sit and linger for a while as well. But as soon as I, you know, started spinning it, it, uh, it really kind of caught my ear very quickly and uh, I mean, at this point, I, it's it's neck and neck with Time Out of Mind, I think, in terms of which one I think uh, I like better. Uh, certain days, certain moods, certain uh, seasons, I think this is the superior record. Maybe even, honestly, the best record that he's released since Blood on the Tracks. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, th- that's like the the worst. That's just something that everyone says about every record that's happened since then. But you're pulling that one out. For this, pulling that one out. I guess that that is um, fair, and I mean, you listen to this opening track, and uh, Tweedly Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb. It's a song, first of all, about two great Americans, um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's, it's the Alice in Wonderland thing, right? Yeah, I'm just exactly. I'm just being um, glib. Delicious. I'm being like yeah. the uh, like Alice in Wonderland herself. I'm uh, making, or the I'm being like twe- I'm being an idiot, like <laughs> Tweedly Dee or Tweedly Dumb, and uh, that's that's one thing that's fun about this song is that it it's just thrusts you right into a, a sort of topsy turvy world where Bob is talking about. Uh, I mean, there's so many great little images all throughout this song, and. Uh, it it really has something in common with like some of the, the golden greats in terms of just pure density of like 
crazy images in this right. number. Right. I mean, it's pretty much, it's like Highway 61, really. Yeah, totally. It's got the same feel sort of thing. Just- Even down to that, like the guitar, like uh, that, you know, kind of like circular kind of uh, um, riff that plays over and over again throughout mm-hmm. the song. Uh, like that, that totally comes out of Highway 61. Uh, it, it's like circus music or something. But there is yeah. a real, uh, there's like a blues song that I, the name of it escapes me, uh, but it's like lifted almost directly yeah. from some other just like blues number. Like no, the like the controversy that he you know with like a lowercase C that happened in the last record with uh Yes with that one song. What was that again? Which song was it? Uh it was uh False Prophet, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bob stealing music. But uh and he's and he's also stealing characters here. Twilly Dean, Twilly Dumb. He didn't invent yes. those so uh, that's two strikes against Bob um, on this record. Already right off the bat. People were accusing him the whole record about, maybe that's my introduction to this record is that he was plagiarizing. Uh, <clears throat> and that was like a w- part of the media sort of thing around this, or the way people, you know, talked about this record, Love and Theft, because, you know, it says theft in the title. And yep. that thing that he was stealing from that Japanese author, like, yep. And then I found out it was just a couple of lines. Yeah. Like, oh, and then this record got this like weird uh, reputation. Right. For, for, you know, lifting a couple of lines from a book, which is pretty weird. Yeah. That, that, something like that seems to pop up with like every record he puts out at this point because there, I mean, there probably is a line or, or, um, uh, a riff or something that like he heard or read somewhere at one point and it's stuck in the back of his head and it comes back out in whatever form it does at this point. Um, but like to think that he's trying to, you know, deliberately just like take someone else's material and pass it off as his own. Um, it seems that's uh, not, that's clearly not what's happening. And we've, we've beaten that horse like pretty much to death on this program talking about like, Bob's use of sort of lifting, lifting. other songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think that's coming to a head on this uh, very episode, or it will, because the title, Love and Theft, uh, seems to be referencing perhaps exactly that phenomenon of the the difference between love and theft not being so clear-cut of uh, flattery, you know, being or imitation being the the best form of flattery or something right. like is that. Is it love or is it theft? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that actually wasn't something that even crossed my mind so much, except Ian, you just had sent me this um, audio of a, a press conference that I didn't know existed that Dylan did uh, around this time in Europe. And he's asked by some European. Yeah, like German reporter or something. Bob, is um, love and theft, do you think, on the same? Probably, yeah. Can I rephrase it? Sure. Mm. Uh, love and theft are synonymous or opposite <laughs> concepts? Are they what? Synonymous or opposite concepts? Are the, no. Do you mean the same? I, would, the, the, I, know, the I don't think of them as, as, um, as contrary, no. Not contrary? Mm-mm. Not contrary? No. Love and theft are the same. 
uh, I don't think there's opposite ends of, of uh, the, the line, no. Mm -hmm. Do you? He says they're not uh, that different. Love and theft. Love and theft. He says, do you think so? Good answer. One thing that's always flummoxed, uh, flummoxed me just while we're on the note of the topic is the quotation marks around love and theft. This is the only Bob record, I think, that has a title presented in quotations like this. Oh, really? And they're very deliberately presented there. Like, it's always written, like, quote, love and theft, end quote. I don't know what's going on with that, but it seems it's like I can't stop thinking about that whenever I listen to it. I think that's maybe something of the same sort of deal of about lifting and uh, sort of the ownership of, of stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's like an ironic distance type thing. Sorry, isn't the title lifted anyway? It is lifted, yeah. Lifted. From a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when we were going to get to that yeah. one. <laughs> Leave that one. Let's put it all on the table because this this we maybe should get out of the way. Yes. Uh, the uh, no, you know, no, you, we, Bob needs to be held accountable. That's right. That's what that's what we do here on Jokerman Podcast. This is the third strike. After which it becomes morally unconscionable for us to actually discuss this album. But please go ahead. Yeah, we're going to move on to a Woody Allen critique after this. Um, uh, title lifted from Eric Lott's uh, history book, Love and Theft, uh, Blackface Minstrelsy, and the American Working Class, uh, which was published in 1993. So uh, Bob's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Blackface and, and Minstrelsy seems to kind of uh, come come around a few times throughout his career. Uh, and, and this one, I guess, fits... Uh, you know, it, it uh, here it is uh, rearing its head once again, just before uh, the uh, uh, the motion picture masterpiece uh, uh, Mass and Anonymous when it becomes uh, visually present uh, for a brief moment. Yeah. It is what it is. Well, black blackface. Do you say what's what's black? <laughs> no, I said, I said no. I said Bob's blackface. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was the minstrelsy, like minstrel shows. Yeah. It was the most popular form of entertainment in this nation for like eighty straight years, right? Which is yeah. so crazy. But I mean, that's like kind of where all of this comes from to some degree. Um, so if you're interested, like Bob is in the history and the rich tapestry of American music, then you've got to, you got to once, once you're like a real head, you, you start like <laughs> flipping through the minstrelsy and blackface <laughs> book just to, for reference about, you know, how, how, how it all came to be, I guess. But the music I, is tapping into that world, right? That's the whole thing. It's like a, the pre rock and roll era. Yeah. There's like exactly. Tin pan alley type of, uh, Tunes. Well, even before Tin Pan Alley, it's like it's like you know real kind of rootsy. Um, oh, it's Stone you know, it's Pan Alley, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> before the Bronze and Silver Age of Pan right. Alley. Mm. Uh, part of it also is, I think, uh, it, you know, uh, we, we'll talk about him a little more when we get to the song High Water. But Charlie Patton is a clear kind of uh, inspiration and reference point for Bob. Uh, he was a uh, you know old time uh, Delta Blues guy uh, from the early 20th century, something like that. And like he, I don't know exactly what the deal is. I, I need to do a little more reading into it. He was not a white man pretending to be a black man. 
Well, no, he actually was like, so he lived his life as a black man, apparently, but there was some sort of like debate or curiosity as to what his actual like ethnic heritage was or something. Oh. Um, so I, I, I don't know how that all ties together, but I think that's, you know, that's all kind of, that's all part of whatever kind of, uh, uh, thought process was going into this record. Well, I, I feel like we should move on along ahead into the next tune, but does anybody have anything else to add about Tweedly D and Tweedly Dumb? I feel like we've <laughs> talked mostly about other things, but, um, for, for one, for me, I love that line about uh, the brains in the pot. They're beginning to boil. They're dripping mm. with garlic and olive oil. That's so good. Uh, that's a great line. You just get such a weird whirlwind of like kind of spooky imagery in this. Um, it's. Yeah. I love the use of food. Yeah. I, I love when Bob talks about food. <laughs> yeah. There's, a, there's a, a few, like, I think there's like a, there's another allusion to cooking at least on this record, but. Not enough yeah, food po songs. Oh mm. boy. <laughs> I guess uh, he does say she's busy in the kitchen cooking on a song called Po Boy. Po Boy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, just the last thing to mention on Tweedledee Tweedledum, I think uh, for me, it's a, it's a clear kind of, it's like a great way to start the record off because it's a, such a clear like shift from um, where we, where we last met him on uh, time out of mind, where it was all me, 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 I, 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 like, you know, a searing look into what was going on inside his head. Uh, and this is like completely like twiddly D twiddly dumb, nothing to do whatsoever with anything personal for him. This is like, you know, just a, a classic kind of story tale that he wants to tell. Uh, so clearly from the, from the jump, we're going in a very different direction here. Yeah. And, and just, Terrific attitude too in this song. Yeah. Um, the next track is just uh, I don't know what is there to say. Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi, beautiful track. What a song. What a track. This is exactly what I meant when I was like, this is the gentleman's corner of just go like one day. I thought maybe I would be surrounded by some like-minded fellows who we could all just sort of sit down and go terrific track talking about <laughs> this song, which is just kind of like the most American is apple pie sounding music. Yeah. So sturdy, like a big old Oak tree. It's so, it's so good. It's so foolproof. It's like a, like a beer at a ball game. It's like a hot cup of coffee in the morning. Like a really long Cadillac. Hmm. Yeah. That early 2000s sort of like Starbucks folk rock. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Feel. I think that was like initially like a real turnoff for, for me for like this period of Dylan was he sort of like, <clears throat> you know, making music that kind of sounded like stuff that he would have done with the band or something. Right. But like it just sounds like cold, like it had like a coldness to it. But that was, I realized it was about me, you know, and now I can hear mm. it with, you know, 20 years uh, distance and it, and it sounds like a, like a beautifully old worn boot. Yeah. 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 He was always just, you know, working in the time and being modern and, and doing his thing. And, you know, it just always needs that breathing space. Yeah. Um, 
That's so, that's the thing about this record that strikes me is um, just how, yeah, it feels so effortless in a way that it's easy to take for granted on first approach. Um, mm. It doesn't even feel like the type of song that maybe like somebody spent a long time working on to like blow your mind with it. It just feels like sturdy, like proper songwriting, but there's no. something comforting about that in, in an age and a time when like, that seems to be the last thing people are interested in making a lot of, a lot of the times. Well, this track was written for time out of mind. It was. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it had originally, I think it had been kicked around for five years or something. There were, there were demos uh, of this, which you hear on the bootleg series eight, that date back like 96 or something. Oh, okay. um, and it had a very, so we'd had it for a while, a different approach. It was um, a bit more gentle, um, a little slower. It doesn't have that kind of really confident, like almost sassy approach that he takes here. It's pretty sad. Yeah. There's that line. There's a line that I love where he says, you can always go back, but you can't go back all the way. Is that uh, what he said? You know that line sort of happens at the end. Yeah. You can always come back, but you can't, you can't come back all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah, the, yeah, the the whole lyric in this this song is like is amazing. It's it's like just like totally effortless, super simple. Um, you know, he's not he's not being flashy or anything. It's a real it's a real lunch pail kind of kind of songwriting here. Uh um, but at the same time, like it's it's really kind of fascinating kind of story and, and like there's a whole bunch of like scholarly debate and stuff over whether this is just a song about him being in Mississippi or if it's some sort of like allegory for the American civil rights movement or something. Uh, you know, uh, the real answer, you know. <laughs> I don't think that's what it is. Well, but that's, geez. We don't know, do we? We never. Will. It's 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 just cool that it's it's a song that can sustain that kind of debate, whether or not you believe the the answer is one thing or another. Um, as kind of simple and straightforward as it is. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, and if that was Bob Dylan's goal here, then uh, that seems to maybe be supported by the way that he answers some questions uh, about it in that press interview it's like if he was really going for something that kind of feels like bigger than just one topic then of course it's not really going to be fun for him to field questions trying to pin it down as if that's ever been something that he likes to do but he did a lot of press around the record i just had a quick look last night and uh he said the record was about power okay power and, and, and man's, you know, desire for power, which I thought was like a weird sort of thing for him to say about this record. That's interesting. That? The power of, um, of summer days. Uh, <laughs> that's, I'm just like reading the lyrics now to summer days, the next song, trying to figure out how this, um, Ties in. ties in, yeah. Um, yeah, I got I got a house on a hill. I got hogs all out in the mud. The the first thing that leaps to mind after reading that line is is you know the question about power. Um, <laughs> well, I'm driving in the flats in a Cadillac car. 
<laughs> the girls all say you're a worn out star. It really does feel like a Cadillac car. Yeah, well, Bob Dylan loves Cadillac cars. He sure does. Just like uh, just like old Joe. This is an interesting record to think about in terms of the um, the era politically we find ourselves in. <laughs> the Joe Biden era of Bob Dylan's career, perhaps. <laughs> I think they're both night. They might both be nineteen forty one birthdays. Really, I, really, I think so. Is, yeah, is Joe Biden going to be eighty? Oh. No, Joe. Joe's nineteen forty two, November twentieth, nineteen forty two. So he's he's just a year behind Bob. Wow. Two cool dudes, equally um, equally with uh, it. Two yeah, two brains exactly. that are just as sharp. Equally as not other. melting out of their ears. Yeah, Bob Bob seems uh, like a tack. He's he's sharp as ever. He's on the level. Um, this song is. Uh, it's very funny when live the the song gets played because often the band just goes crazy and they like extend this sock hop jam into like as we discussed in uh already re- on a recent episode when this popped up um on that 2002 show. Right. Like they'll just go crazy for the, on the song and like really Yeah, they just, just torture it. Eat it up and just like solo forever. It really makes you think about how abuses of power come as no surprise. You know, you've got a captive audience. Everybody's going to see Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan really is making a meta commentary by sort of abusing that position of power to make everybody in the crowd sit and listen to a song that sounds like uh, you're waiting to get somebody on roller skates delivering a milkshake to you for 25 minutes. Right. Well, he's also incredibly conscious and powerful in the studio by, um, you know, controlling the guitarists. I think, uh, you know, he talks about how all the guitar players talked about, like he would, you know, give them a stink eye if they would play too much. And I didn't right. notice that the playing, even though it's like pretty busy, it's still really refined in the parts, mm-hmm. you know, like the, He's conscious about being modern and without, you know, to make this music and to do that kind of feeling, but without it feeling like uh, a pastiche or like kind of. So is that the difference between the live and the, and the studio thing? Like, I feel like in the studio, he's very conscious about being controlled and, and, and being modern. And then like live, he just lets everyone off the chain and it's a fucking yeah. free for all. I think you're... T- yeah, I think you're totally right about that. And like this, because the, the studio thing, like I think I was looking at the the recording. Like all of these songs were recorded uh, over the course of about two weeks in May 2001, May 8th to May 21st, basically. So thir- what is that? 13 days. Yeah. Um, the entire record got cut. So like I, I I think in the studio it's just like he and the band are all in one like it's just a snapshot of where they all are at a at a certain moment in time and then when the record comes out 6 months later and then the two you know he's playing the song 6 months after that it's just a totally different kind of like moment in time different band different or not different band but different kind of energy different vibe mm-hmm. um so they just come out totally different like not even it's not even like they're trying to be like, oh, let's take this song that sounds like this on the record and let's fuck with it so it sounds different live. It's just it just naturally kind of spins out that way. I suppose uh, uh, yeah. 
what it is is that the the original version, the record version, it seems that Bob was conscious of having it be kind of like uh, standard, uh, like the the definitive version of the song where nobody's doing anything too crazy. They're not trying to make it into some like mood piece. They're just playing this song in the style that Bob wants the song to basically have. Um, right. And then from there, you've got this like boilerplate, uh, just a, a great song, but it's it's like a vehicle that can be sort of spun off from and they can sort of then do these different versions of stuff off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is maybe why he's historically had issues with like someone like Daniel Lanois, who seems to want to make the record like a a really heavy vibe laid on to a song to begin with, like right out of the box. Yeah. I could, I, that makes sense. Like the, the Lanois thing, like be like, why are you trying to put all this mood on the songs? Whereas the songs already have the mood, you know? Right. Yeah, Bob has like a very utilitarian view of music making that yeah. comes across pretty strongly on, on this record, I think. Yeah, I I think like he he likes it when it's him and the band and they make the song and that's the song. Right, like right. he he makes the song live and he hears it and that's what it is on the record versus with a really heavy studio presence like Lenoir, like you record all the the vocals, you record the music and then it goes through some magic black box at the, you know, at the fingertips of the producer and then it gets spit out on the other side, you know, sounding like what it does, which sounds fucking amazing. But it can be great. Obviously. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, he, Bob doesn't have control over what's happening in that process. And it, he just kind of has to like leave it up to fate and trust that it ends up going in whatever direction it, uh, it should. And it, clearly he, does, he didn't, he didn't think that it did. Um, uh, does, Bob doesn't like, does Bob not like time out of mind? He does not. I, no. I don't think yeah. he cares particularly for it. Yeah. Oh. I think he likes the songs. I mean, he likes the, you know, some of the songs that he wrote, but the, the finished product, you know, he's being, uh, he's been quite snippy about it uh, oh. over the years about, uh, you know, producers not being able to mic his voice properly oh, yeah. uh, and not, not understanding the vibe that he was trying to capture and shit. Yeah. Uh, and it was a very sort of tortuous um, uh, recording process as uh, our friend Jonathan Rado documented for us when he uh, came on and spat all that knowledge. I mean, we look at, uh, his, if you look at his discography, like this is love and theft. Like there's no record after it to date that has that sort of like built in atmosphere. It all starts here. I think with love and theft, this, the way that Dylan's managed to like stay relevant, uh, stay fresh to himself seems to be like finding that he likes it to be kind of like maybe a little to some tastes like bland production wise. Um, totally generic, but like classic is the nice way to put it. But is this, is this the first record where he starts to do this like Western swing kind of thing and doing more of this, like, uh, you know, thirties and and forties style music, like pre rock and roll stuff. Was that was he yeah. that on, not really so much a time much. out of my soul? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, you, like, hear like on, you hear on "By and By." By and by, and uh, yeah, "By and By" is the next song. Yeah, 
but yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you had a couple like uh, blues, you know, kind of uh, really kind of basic blues rock detours on Time Out of Mind. But before that, I mean, he he definitely hadn't gone in this direction at all. Um, and uh, and yeah, By and By I think is like the perfect kind of example of a song that sounds like it could have been written recorded in nineteen. 19- 38 1941 yeah. or something i don't even <laughs> i don't even know it sounds like it belongs on one of the like on triplicate or something really yeah, you can imagine like bing crosby up in up in the stew exactly mm. being in a way i mean is i i listened to the podcast you guys guys did with ian savonius and you talked about dylan going electric over and over again and i, I love i love that idea and i was just thinking that this version of Dylan, you know, plugging into like thirties, forties sort of thing is, is another, this oh, is yeah. going electric at this point. Well, it's advantageous to some degree that people keep forgetting about old music. More and more people are unfamiliar with it. And so mm. it maybe becomes more and more kind of um, perversely exciting to dig it up and like reintroduce it to people. Um only for them to get pissed that when they read on on like a medium article that it um actually it was stolen from somebody <laughs> who was was a marginalized community. Oh yeah, well, they're doing that now like pop producers take like chord progressions that are coming out of copyright from like classical composers <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh just steal the progression now and it's totally we all win, you know, Legal. in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is a different thing, though, I, I guess. is um, Dylan going, you know, as a, as a, you know, rock and roll star, digging into that music of, like, when he was just born. And maybe that's a thing that people, all generations and all artists do, is, is you tap into this music that happens, like, around the time that you're born. You find that? I mean, that's a thing for me. It's like there's music that comes out that came out in like 1983 when I was born that seems to, you know, become more and more reverent in my life. Mm. Kind of imprinted on you? Yeah. Yeah, like like infidels. Like infidels, hell yeah. (laughs) What do you guys think of By and By, the the song that comes next? Uh, It's really pretty. Um, You know, uh, I think it's really nice and... uh, 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 simple um change of pace uh palette palette cleanser uh after after the real root and toot and start to this record he kind of slows it down and uh you know gives everyone a, can- a chance to catch their breath yeah. yeah it's kind of like a gentle sort of like being happy sort of song for bob which mm-hmm. is, seems pretty weird like yeah not the kind of song that that you get from him too often I'm trying to think like uh, of any other bob dylan song that's this sort of easygoing <laughs> I'm scuffling and I'm shuffling and I'm walking on briars. Yeah. Not yeah, even lo- my own desires. I mean, like there's a lyric that we didn't touch on. We didn't talk too much about the lyrics in um, summer days, but uh, one of them that is my favorite probably from that, that uh, song is um, the one that goes, uh, she said to me, you can't repeat the past. I said, what do you mean? You can't, uh, of course you can. Oh, yeah. He has yeah. that weird phrasing where he, he puts way too many stuff yeah, yeah. mindful of words. Which, which kind of arrests my ear and makes me think, like, this seems important. 
and it seems germane to what we were discussing is like in terms of repeating the past he goes what do you mean you can't of course you can you can always repeat the past it's it's easy and then he proceeds to go and do that for like quite a few more songs yeah (laughs) i i really love the the little organ like the it feels like a like a lounge like Mm -hmm. like a lounge organ bit here like like you're at a, a literal like supper club and some guy in like a weird suit with like sequins on it, like gets on stage and it's like, hello, I hope you uh, are having a great time. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying your, uh, your meatloaf. And on the next track, Lonesome Day Blues, which after that kind of nice loungy interlude where you can like take a, a an hors d'oeuvre or two, like a Swedish meatball on a toothpick mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. have like a, a a Pim's cup or whatever. Um, you are then gre- treated to the actual the main event. the sh- The show goes on stage, and it's um, it's Lonesome Day Blues, which is a ridiculous classic Bob Dylan like r- just just blues fest. Just like it's badass. It's an excuse song, you know, to come up with all these little funny lines and say them twice like you do in the blues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably one of my least favorite songs on the record. I think. <laughs> Fair. Love blues. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it literally it, feels a little bit like you are at Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been to Chuck E. Cheese, but I've seen it in the movies. <laughs> um, do they not have that down there? Chuck E. Cheese? No, we don't have that. No. You've got to keep that one for yourself. Going there is probably <laughs> kind of different today anyway than, than what I rem- remember. Yeah, I mean, the, when Bob does this, like, straight-up kind of blues thing, I always makes me think about, like, uh, like a great artist, like a Matisse or something, doing, like, paper cut cutouts, like, when they get older. Right. It just becomes this, like, thing you can, like, lean on and go, ah. Today I'm just gonna like do some paper cuts instead of like getting the paper cuts, you know. You don't like Matisse and his paper cutouts? See no, I, li- I like them. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying <laughs> that I don't like the song. I'm just saying that in the context of the record, I'd say it's one of the, the least interesting songs. See, I, I think that that's a great um, comparison. Actually, the, the Matisse's paper cutouts. Uh, and and Dylan doing this kind of stuff at this point in his career, but I kind of perversely like love that. Like I <laughs> I find it kind of like transgressive in a way when I'm mm. listening to this song now. I'm just like, wow, he's really just doing this. He's really he's really just doing. My pa, he died and left me. Like the what was I don't know. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> lyrics in this that are like it's just relentless in a way yeah yeah come yeah when the blues is so sad it's like comical i mean the blue just the idea of even like like the blues now just seems so sort of kicked around and like made fun of and it's just like you know it's it's unfuckable with like you know (laughs) <laughs> I've been John Lee Hooker a lot again recently, like his early recordings, and it's so good. But like, just the idea of like, if I was going to write a song, and I'm like, 
just gonna write blues song just blues <laughs> <laughs> like a new you know just someone like a new artist that's like a new blues singer or something just seems remember so jake cool. bug yeah yeah I well, think he, I, he's you know now he's the most famous artist i thought he was more of an oasis guy he, he was he did like he, a bob dylan type thing did he yeah, yeah like he was i wonder where he is Probably hanging out. He's not. Yeah, my. Uh, well, my captain. He's decorated. He's well schooled <laughs> and he's skilled. My captain. He's you, even reading it. You feel you have to read it twice. My captain. It's he's so decorated. Funny. He's well schooled and he's skilled. He's not sentimental. Don't bother him at all. How many of his pals have been killed? <laughs> it's a very happy song, but it's all of the lyrics are pretty. He's just the the lyrics on this like almost could just be like gobbledygook words. Like I think a lot of this is just him just kind of like riffing with little this. You know what this sounds like, uh, Evan? You'll remember this from Master Anonymous. It it sounds like the little notes in his book or in his box that Larry Charles took out and turned into Uncle Sweetheart and shit. Just Mm -hmm. like little snatches of things that floated through his mind and he collected. My uncle's got a sweetheart. <laughs> exactly. You think he's freestyling? Yeah, uh, pretty close to it. Honestly, uh, he he has been known to just kind of like, you know, when when needed, sit down in a corner of the studio and bang out three or four verses just just like that. That's how much of Brownsville Girl was written. Apparently, Brownsville allegedly. Girl, exactly. Um, he just was but, like, uh, they're like, we we need we need like a lot more verses, and he was like, <laughs> hold on, and then wrote the rest of the song. Yeah, well, three so different songs. Um, this this song, just you know, all right. N- the next song <laughs> is uh, it's it sounds to me like just one last thing. It sounds to me like a precursor to uh, early Roman Kings. early Roman Kings, uh, which just, which takes the, the maybe I in retrospect now you know living in a post early Roman Kings world, I can look back at this and kind of smile. Because early Roman kings to me, it's like it's the same format, but he kind of like amps up the absurdity in a way right. that makes it like uh, just a sheer delight. And yeah. and really, I feel like I have broken through in some way, like the like uh, the DMT like mandala of like now being able to just enjoy this record as like a sensible piece of music uh, that I can just. But ha- I'm happy to own it on a compact disc and play it while I sip my cappuccino and think <laughs> about how it's a this is a nice blues. It's the kind of CD you got to put in a CD stacker in yeah. the back of your car. Yeah, yeah. got a nice European sort of BMW sort yes. of SUV thing. This is music music for people who do not eat in their car. <laughs> <laughs> Next is a, a change of pace, though. Next, we are getting back into songs that are that are not the blues, um, exactly. Which is "Floater," too much to ask. I mean, yes. the song "Floater" is just incredible. It's pretty. It's pretty it's good. Standout track. <laughs> why, why is it called this "Floater"? I no idea. Uh, why is it called floater? It doesn't actually say anything about floater in the lyrics. 
that classic character floaters. <laughs> yeah. This this is the one also that the uh the plagiarism has the plagiarized the, the quote unquote plagiarized lines. Um, what are those? Uh, my old man, he's like some feudal lord. Uh, and uh, I'm not as cool or forgiving as I might have sounded from uh, Junichi Saga's book Confessions of a Yakuza. That's um, an that's honestly like if you when you find out that that's been plagiarized from that, that is just so cool to find out that Bob Dylan was reading a book about the Japanese mafia. Well, that's that's uh, to to his credit. Uh, um, the uh, author Junichi Saga said that he was honored, uh, not disappointed in Bob having uh, kind of grabbed lines and re recontextualized and re reinterpreted them here, uh, which I think is the right, uh, you know, that's the right approach to take. If, if Bob Dylan's going to take a couple lines from your book and throw them into a song, that's, there could be no greater honor. You know, that's a, an amazing anecdote. And I just want to posit something. Um, do you think that it's possible that Bob Dylan owns a samurai sword. <laughs> Hanging above his bed. It's pretty cool to think about this. It's just some a thought experiment. Bob <laughs> <laughs> well, likes those iron gates, right? That's his yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe he does. I wonder if maybe he has forged himself his own sword. A blade, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Katana blade. <laughs> <clears throat> I'd say Bob's got a sword. It's decided. Bob has a sword. Well, I got me a sword. Uh, for years <laughs> I've been studying the blade. Well, I forged me a sword. For years I've been studying the blade. <laughs> you come to Did me. <laughs> hmm? Did Bob get into like a um, any sort of martial arts practice? Well, I mean, he's he's very into boxing, as we know. He's got his boxing gym in Santa Monica, so uh, I wouldn't that be, counts. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of you know Eastern philosophy wedged in there somewhere. Mm. That's what I was thinking, but because of the no. boxing would have led to other things. Would have, yeah. Well, he was studying some some Tai Chi or Judo. Or, yeah. There's one lyric in this song that. Um, always comes back to me um, every time I hear it. Yeah. My grandfather was a duck trapper. He could do it with just drag <laughs> nets and ropes. My grandmother could sew new dresses out of old cloth. I don't know if they had any dreams or hopes. It's a great lyric about like the weird alienating feeling of knowing that we, you come from just like people who had a completely different experience. It's a, something that always leaps out at me in this song more than any of the other lyrics. I love that line about being a duck trapper. Yeah. Just like kind of like high thoughts or like shower thoughts, Bob here. Just like, isn't it crazy that my grandfather was just like a guy who hunted ducks and that's what he did. (laughs) Who knows what the hell they were thinking about when they were doing that. (laughs) Um, what's the the line about Romeo and Juliet? Yep. Romeo said to Juliet, you got a poor complexion. Don't give your appearance a very youthful touch. It's such a weird thing to say. And Juliet said back to Romeo, why don't you just shut up, shove off if it bothers you so much? That is... Uh, I mean, what's going on there? Is it, 
it seems just to come from a totally different place to this sort of like duck trappers and, and fishermen on the on Is that a joke about Juliet being dead? And then oh. Romeo discovering her and then it is like a an alternate ending where it becomes a this is the kind of joke that's only funny to like <laughs> I don't even but Bob Dylan's just on some other level with this. If if that is well, indeed like a stab at like Shakespeare humor. He I mean he mentions Romeo Romeo appears in Desolation Row, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, Romeo, again. he's moaning, you belong to me, I believe. Exactly, yeah. It's uh it's all it's all part of the same, you know, it's one one world, one love. It's all part of the same continuum. Right back to the beginning. Such a weird thing to just pop in there. That signature Bob Dylan character we all know and love, just like Heaven's Door, uh, Romeo, um, is making his second appearance here in the song. <laughs> it's also uh, I left my I left all my dreams and hopes buried under tobacco leaves. Such a weird line. It's uh, this is a very like rootsy like you know he he mentions a bunch of like rivers also he calls them rebel rivers they went down the Ohio the Cumberland and the Tennessee all of all the rest of them rebel rivers uh, it's a very like you know like South roots Appalachia nineteenth century just you know is that a Confederate thing I think so speaking yeah. of that and speaking of the idea of power I mean I think that this song has something there where the last lines. Uh, it's not always easy kicking someone out. Got to wait a while. It can be an unpleasant task. Sometimes somebody wants you to give something up and tears or not, it's too much to ask. Which, mm-hmm. if there's ever mm-hmm. a passage that could be read as uh, maybe saying a little something about Dixie, about the South, um, when when somebody says you you should give something up, like slavery... Um, sometimes <laughs> tears are not, that's a little, that's a, that's a little too much to ask well, in these parts. We love, uh, slavery is what the South, the yeah. South said. Did the slaves, slavers cry when they were told they couldn't have slaves anymore. Right. Yeah. And the Northerners cried because they said, please don't have slaves. And they said, yeah. no can do. <laughs> I really want to keep my slaves. I really, I really think I'd like to keep them. Yeah. Floater. Too much to ask. Too much to ask. Indeed. And that's what Um, too much to ask is about. Yeah. Yeah. It's saying it is too much to ask. Literally. Too much to ask. (laughs) This might be too much to ask, uh, but. We'd like you to. Stop having slaves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one one possible interpretation. And then you know the other one, the other too much to ask. Uh, Romeo going, you you look you you look dead. Injection. You don't. Yeah. You look bad. And she says, I don't care. Yeah. There's a, probably a lot more in here, listener. I implore you to. Um, is it too much to ask to listen to this song and? Come up with your own conclusion. Um, High Water for Charlie Patton is next. Thoughts? What do you you guys think? Extremely badass. The most badass song on the record as far as I'm concerned. Why? 
Why do you think because that? Because it it rocks. <laughs> that the 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 fucking like that huge drum, that oh, rolling yeah. drum kick every now and then. it's it this is this is like the um the cold iron's bound to this record to me. It's just like uh, anytime I hear it, it just like kind of gives me a charge and like I'm I'm psyched up. It does have that um, kind of war uh, music feeling, like yeah, in that exactly like that, marching that into just battle, like, yeah, out of out of this world uh, and that and the banjo just kind of taking you all the way through. Uh, it's 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 a propulsive song. I also think there's something like psychically appropriate about this song. Uh, coming out, this song specifically coming out on 9 11. Uh, you know, just that refrain high water everywhere, it's tough out there. Uh, things are breaking up out there, it's rough out there, high water everywhere. Like, I, it's, you know, I'm not saying Bob knew about 9 11, uh, but did it's, he? It, oh, you know, or did, did he? Say that? Has that been said that Bob, Bob was in on it? It's <laughs> are, are you saying that right now? <laughs> I'm not I, saying it. I'm just asking if it has been said because I mean just, it's obvious. I don't, I don't believe that it's been said till mm. until now. It has been said that people of Bob's uh, certain religious persuasion were in on 9/11 because he also chose to make the record in New York City. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's a point um, against <laughs> him being aware of it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be there, man. I got to see it myself. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm there for that time. Um, God, that's morbid. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a very good song. Um, and yes, it is kind of the resident barn burner on the uh, track list. It's got that rough and tumble attitude that we love to hear sometimes. It yeah. just seems very like per- perceptive of this particular moment in time in American culture, uh, like just things like getting stormy and fucked. Um, and even the, the lines about like um, the ones about Charles, Dar- they got Charles Darwin trapped out there on Highway 5. Judge says to judge says to the high sheriff, I want him dead or alive. Either one. I don't care. Like that seems to presage the whole like weird like evolution culture war that was going on at this moment in time or like was about to start happening when conservatives were trying to get yeah. like um, intelligent design into the fucking school curriculums and stuff. Like yeah. it, it just this song for some reason really speaks to that like moment, that specific moment, nine eleven to like Iraq War basically uh, in American history to me. Ooh. Yeah, I, ha- I mean for me, I, I just it's a. Uh, <clears throat> Something about the banjo for me gives it the, the Starbucks kind of blues banjo thing seems to be where I draw the line mm. <laughs> in terms of the, the appro- sort of, it's not really cultural appropriation if you're appropriating your own culture, is it? But no, it's the- appropriating foghorn leghorn. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, I, I think you need another 10, five, 10 to 10 years, uh, him you to to really get record? yeah just for this song it, it, just come back song. to it and it, when you're another decade older and then you'll you'll be like you know i can really appreciate the banjo here um it's it's a really nice banjo but right it's, now I mean, you're too young you're too rebellious well it's incredibly well played banjo you know and, it, and it's uh it's it's powerful and, and uh i just it doesn't sit with me, you know. Yeah. The banjo recorded in this kind of way with that kind of sound um, feels inauthentic. But you know, that's 
that's up to me. You know, that's for me to deal with in my own personal universe of how I perceive the banjo. See, you mean that I it sounds kind of like maybe the, the incidental music in like city slickers or something like that, or like you're <laughs> watching, like you're at like the DVD menu. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's more just about, you know, the banjo being like having this primitive kind of sound and, and, you know, the idea of borrowing from primitive sort of Appalachian recordings and then doing it in a big studio in New York City with a hot session band and suddenly the, the banjo means something incredibly different taken out of the, the sitting on the porch kind of context and that like... You're a banjo really, purist, I see. Well, if I'm going to listen to banjo music, I want to listen to real banjo music. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I think I, I totally see what you mean there. And I think that if he, I don't know why I'm defending like, it so much. Either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being the banjos advocate here. I think that if he, if he made the whole record with that banjo sound, uh, I, I would definitely feel uh, very similar to the way that you do, but just like, I don't know, as like a touch of color on this specific song or something like I almost, I don't even, it, cause it doesn't really sound like a, it doesn't sound like the kind of song that like, you know, a, a guy in a rocking chair with three teeth plucking a banjo, like would be playing, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, he's using it to affect, he's using it, the idea of banjo and, and how right. that like what banjo means in the context of this song. And, and that's how I, I need to look at the song and reframe it for myself to enjoy it a little more, because I think I was thinking about it very aesthetically you know, I'm hearing banjo and I'm hearing like, this is not how I like the banjo to sound. No. Yeah. The great banjo debate uh, will rage on, um, on the Joker men podcast and beyond. But um, I think we can all agree that the next song moonlight, um, which has no banjo to speak of is, um, well, it doesn't, doesn't. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. It's, it's just a nice song. For the whole family, <laughs> no matter what part of the United States you live in or when. A beautiful song. I mean, that's like, it's kind of like by and by, right? Same yeah, exactly. Way. Yeah. And this is a timeless song. It, I mean, clearly it sounds old. It sounds like an old song, but. Yeah, um, it's like tiptoe through the tulips kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm listening to it now. It's. It soothes me. This one really, I mean, it's original lyrics, uh, although apparently the, the refrain, Once You Meet Me in the Moonlight Alone, was borrowed from somewhere, uh, inspired by the Carter family's 1928 recording of Joseph Augustine Wade's song, Meet Me by the Moonlight. Um, the rest of the song, original lyrics, but it, 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 this really literally does sound like a, like a lost Sinatra song or something that should be on Shadows in the Night or Fallen Angels. Uh, from the uh, just that really kind of simple melody uh, and that um, you know basic kind of like once you meet me in the moonlight alone it's it's just such a uh, he, again like very low stakes kind of song um, similar to some of the earlier ones um, um, by and by or summer days he's, he's not shooting for the stars on this yeah, but it's also weird to hear Bob sing songs that are so like emotionally simple, right? Maybe deceptively, you know, because 
when I think about Bob Dylan's sort of like love songs, they're always so loaded and and uh, filled with both love and hate and the complexities of, of life. And for him to write a song that's, you know, um, talk, just talking about the beauty of, of nature. And, um, and the moonlight you know, very, alone, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so straight-faced. Yeah, this song makes uh, I Threw It All Away look like, you know, very complex and uh, intense song, which itself, you know, that's another like pretty straightforward uh, Dylan sort of love ballad. But um, I guess it's also very yearning. Like he's asking the, the, this, this person to come and meet him in the moonlight, which suggests that he's just walking around in the moonlight on his own thinking about it. But there's no response to that. So. It almost feels like uh, he's imploring the listener to just uh, come, come meet me on this level of just being simple of just enjoying yeah. a kind of classic experience. Um, please just don't, don't make make this complicated. Yeah. Don't overthink this, um, you know, like Tim, just come out here and, and, and smell the sweet blossoms. Yeah. Just, just listen to me play the banjo and, <laughs> uh, well, the next song I, I spoke too soon um, because when we were talking about high water as being kind of like the, the, the barn burner of the record, that's not really true because there's honest with me. Yeah. Which this is absolutely rips. Okay. This is the opposite of the moonlight, which is very funny and like charming sequencing um, this on this record. It just like comes out of left field and really just shakes up the joint. Mm, very dynamic, you know, loud, soft, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But honest with me, I mean, it's almost got like a disco feel, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like yeah, the, the, <laughs> the drums, absolutely. I love it. Kind of like sounds like something that he would do with the band, you know, like a, it's got that uh, some mid-70s kind of like pretty weird feel to pick at this point in history. At any point, having this like disc, like Americana disco thing, I don't know that that's. Um, Has he ever done that before? Is I mean, the like- whole of the eighties. Uh, there's a lot of instances of like live shit. I mean, probably like what, like on Down in the Groove and and uh, like I want to ramble. Isn't that far off? Maybe, but it's it's not disco-y, Any of that. That um that live record that he did with the band, like before the flood. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Sounds like something like that to me. Hmm. Well, it's got that aggression, like, that yeah. th- that energy. Definitely. I really do like this song. I think it's one of the, the best tunes on here, like just as a a, a, a standout. I think it's... Yeah, uh, the guitar. The guitar on this one is just like super simple. You know, it's got that like slide thing. It's like got the... Exactly. And he just does the same thing over and over again. And I thought that was like really super uh like modern of Bob to to really restrict the guitar player to you know to just uh 
play this the same thing because it becomes almost like a sample. It's like- so strange how like what works on this song and what you're describing, I I think is something that Dylan seemed to be trying to do for a long time. Like in the mm-hmm. '80s, song like "You Want to Ramble," the first track on "Knocked Out Loaded," like it's just is so leaden and and feels redundant. But mm. for some reason, it just like works on this. Yeah, probably because the lyrics to this aren't just "I want to ramble." Yes, and he's got a crack fucking band actually banging it out with him in the studio instead of whatever you know group of uh, uh, lackeys was uh, actually cutting the record on "Knocked Out Loaded." Yeah, and he talks about the producer on this record as well. Well, not the producer, but the engineer, Chris Shaw. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you know Chris Shaw got his vocal sounding right for the first time, but I think maybe he got everything sounding right for the first time in a while for Bob. Yeah, um, and he said that he wanted to work with Chris Shaw because he liked his work on Public Enemy. Yes, which is a pretty hip thing for for Bob to be looking at, but it's also interested in. Yeah, I mean he's interested in it, and he likes the sound of the vocals on Public Enemy. So he's going to get that guy to record his vocal. That's a deep kind of connection for Bob. That's, thing. that's just yeah. random and weird enough sounding to, to seem like it. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be true. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how he, he made that jump from uh, being like, Oh, I, I, I like the sound of, uh, uh, the lyrics or like the, just the way that the, the lyrics were recorded on fear of a black planet or something. And I think that would work for me in 2001 on my blues record. Fear of a Bob planet. Fear of a planet wave. Yeah. Honest with me um, is just a pretty sick uh, song with some great lyrics, and a, it's just fucking rocks. What can what can we say? Um, the next is Po' Boy. A song about the sandwich. Great sandwich. It's not really the, about that. It is a great sandwich. A, a, a great ver- variety of great genre of sandwich. Mm. What goes um, on po' boy? Well, uh, a po' boy is traditionally like a, a sort of a sub hoagie style, like a long roll. And mm-hmm. inside is usually a fried item, like fried mm-hmm. oysters or fried... Um, Shrimp and shrimp, um, crawfish, and then on, on that is uh, like a, sometimes a, like a slaw, like a coleslaw type thing. Or, it's usually just kind of like, just cabbage. Uh, like shredded, shredded lettuce, lettuce or cabbage yeah. and like some mayonnaise, basically. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, you put, get some hot sauce on there, right? Hot yeah, sauce, yeah. 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 But um, you can put anything on a po' boy, but that's kind of the traditional thing. Uh, New Orleans is famous for this sandwich, yeah. yes. Um, that I don't. It really does. There's no mention of the sandwich itself on the song, but I know you love the song. In you, you expressed to me just like apropos of nothing 
you're just like, this is a great song. I think you even posted on the Jokerman Instagram. Just like, I, I love, think so. I love this. It's so good. Yeah. Nice. It's a beautiful, song. beautiful little tune. It's like three minutes long. Again, like another hard left after, um, honest with me, um, here towards the end of the record. Uh, and that just that, that acoustic guitar, uh, is so like kind of wistful and like just, you know, it's, it's just a beautiful little riff. Um, that uh, takes you throughout the song. It's also like a funny song. Oh, yeah. like he makes a knock. He makes a knock knock joke in the lyrics. Um, and, and he uh, or that the second verse. Uh, I say, "How much you want for that?" I go into the store. The man says, three dollars." All right, I say, "Will you take four? Like it, he's, yeah. it just doesn't make any say. Like everything in this song. Call he's up just, like, to room these. service. Say, send me a room. Yeah, exactly. That's my favorite line. <laughs> Knocking on the door, I say, Who is it and where are you from? Man says, Freddy. I say, Freddy, who? He says, Freddy or not. (laughs) Here I come. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, this is, it's a delight. What can I, it's so much fun. Yeah. Freddy or not, here I come. So he's about 60 when he made this record. Yeah, 60 exactly. Yeah. Young at Heart. Mm. A song he'll later cover. One of my favorite. Uh, covers from like the, th- those albums. Yeah. This is just a sweet little song and it knows yeah, the it. perfect it's, little, it's, it's cute perfect as little a, morsel. Cute as a, just a great little, mm, just tastes great. So we got some sweet with po' boy and now we get back into some sour with cry while a song that is, I, I love the, the alternating rhythm in this. Um, oh yeah. That's really fun. And the lyric is just so good. Um, I cried over you. Now it's your turn. You can cry a while. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That combination is just, it's, it's perfect. There's this sort of classic, like, uh, it's more like a slow blues. And then, uh, this more jaunty rhythm and it kind of ping pongs back and forth. That's a really weird thing. I never heard that done before like that goes into like a hard sort of reggae, almost sort of skanking. Yeah. Right. And then a swing, like a slow swing shuffle kind of really powerful sort of like jerk. This is really, it's really a band record. I think like that's like, he he couldn't have cut this record with any just random group of um you know hired guns or anything like he needed his guys in the studio with him they needed to have been playing together for as long as they were so they could just yeah do this insane kind of uh uh fusion song in the middle of a record that's also got banjo and uh standard kind of blues rock and immaculate folk rock with Mississippi. It's just like, it's such a, they're all over the place and it all kind of coheres and works, uh, you know, even though it seems like it might, might not. Oh yeah. I like this line. This is kind of about food as well. The preachers in the pulpit and the babies in their cribs. I'm longing for that sweet fat that sticks to your ribs. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That is another food lyric. Mm. They want that po' boy or that, um, what was the other food mentioned earlier on? 
Um, the olive oil. The, the, brain. the brains. <laughs> Dripping with garlic and olive oil. Mm. Do you guys eat brains? Have I? Mm. Uh, yeah, I have, I think. <laughs> I've eaten sweet breads, which I guess is like a gland, not exactly like the brain brain. Oh, but. Okay. Yeah. I've had uh, like uh, cabeza, like taco. That's that's you know. like face and stuff. That's like cheeks and oh, okay. cabeza. Is it? Cabeza is just all like from around the head, yeah. Oh, the head meat, that's right. It's head meat, <laughs> often confusing. Like brain. You ate the lamb's brains. The lamb's brains in the in in the garlic and olive oil. With the oil. garlic and olive oil, wow! Yeah. Incredibly delicious. Is it good? Yeah, really good. Into the tavern and the taverna, you say, "Just give me the tweedly d," and then yeah. like, give me the tweedly or the tweedly dum. Either raw. Yeah. It strikes me as like a Scottish kind of like I feel like they eat a lot of brains up in Scotland for some reason. Well, what's the haggis? They eat the intestine. Oh, the it's that's what that's I'm thinking. Lo- of, yeah, the haggis the is full of lungs and hearts and or oats, organ meat. Now, yeah, no, the, yeah. the French eat the brain. The French eat the brain, and I bet Bob brain. does. I bet I bet Bob eats the brain. Yeah, totally. Sugar baby. Another food reference because sugar baby Mm-mm. is a candy. <laughs> At least in America, we have a candy called sugar babies, which are oh yeah, the sugar baby is the mini version of the sugar daddy. That's right. They're just yeah. like <laughs> I forgot about it's that. It's just like these very terrible for your teeth. Like it's an old candy. Yeah. You know, the, it's like like a caramel, like a chew or something, right? Yeah, like I mean, really... the sugar daddy is just like the most intimidating candy because it's just like a slab of of just a caramel basically it's like caramel kind of yeah basically it's just there's no flavor to it other than like burned sugar basically and sugar babies are little teeth like you can't even like you can't even like open your jaw after you've been working on it for a second because it just sticks your top teeth to your bottom teeth with a sugar daddy. And so the sugar baby is They're just, just little baby. guys. They're li- it's like a little yeah, bag. They're like little, it's the Reese's pieces. Yeah, little balls, to I the, think. Yeah, yeah. yeah the okay. analog for like when you don't want to commit to the whole sugar daddy. It's, it seems very loaded, the whole <laughs> thing. You make a couple sugared babies. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's an old candy. That wouldn't be invented today. Yeah. You wouldn't be allowed to have a sugar daddy candy anymore. No, certainly not. <laughs> you know that there's a grooming situation happening between the sugar daddy and the sugar baby. Um, yeah. What What do you guys think about this song? Because I feel that this song is kind of covertly like kind of creepy. Like this, there's something kind of spooky about this song to me. Yeah, it does have like a, a downer kind of. Yeah, there's, there, it definitely ends the ends the record on a low note. Not low as in like bad, but just low as in like oh, like you're leaving it like with your shoulders slumped and kind of like you know kicking the dust uh, down the road. It's um, after after so many highs and uh, so much excitement throughout the album. This is a it's a real kind of you know like downer seventies ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the blood in the tracks. It's- kind of thing. I think that this record, you know, like for the most part, why, like in the difference between Time Out of Mind is like Time Out of Mind's a very emotional record. And this record was probably kind of harder to get into because it's, you know, it's based in like this weird sort of storytelling thing. Right. Um, but when he does 
you know, allow these sort of emotional moments to happen. They're incredibly powerful, I think. And I think that this is, for me, was like one of the, uh, you know, tracks on the, on the album that actually, you know, allowed me to get inside it a bit more. And I, and I you know, I found this track to be incredibly powerful. Yeah, it it has a strange quality of, um, whereas it, it almost feels like a little cold-hearted, like... You ain't got no you brains. You ain't got no, no brains, no how. You went years without me. Might as well keep going now. It's kind of got this like post breakup feeling where he's kind of shut off his feelings for this person and is kind of like uh, just laying it out like yeah. certain. And there's some of the lines, like some of these memories you can learn to live with and some of them you can't. Uh, it's just a very kind of like somber, like got a really see us say hello kind of feeling to it. And sure, and the yeah. and the music of it is really um like the the chorus, I mean, like that that descending guitar line. It just it, it brings you down to earth after yeah. the this is no summer days up in here. Certainly not. Yeah, do you, I mean, do you uh, think that he put this song there for like a reason? Like, is he trying to be like a purposeful sort of like um, return to uh, like waking up from the, the fantasy and the dream that, that has been the rest of the record? And it's like, uh, actually, back to my It's probably definitely intentional that like the record ends with this vibe. Um, I don't know how much Dylan would think about like it uh, in, in terms of like a concept record, but he's always very intentional about the first song on the record and the last song on the record. Yeah. Like they kind of bookend the thing just in terms of like the, the vibe journey in some respect. Right. So yeah, this certainly does strike me as like the most personal song on the record. Uh, one of these stanzas, um, uh, always gets me. Um, Every moment of existence seems like some dirty trick. Happiness can come suddenly and leave just as quick. Any minute of the day, the bubble could burst. Try to make things better for someone. Sometimes you just end up making it a thousand times worse. Mm. Um, yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy stanza. Right? Heavy, exactly. It, does, it, it, it this sounds like, this sounds like a time out of mind song to me almost. Mm. And knowing that some of this material was written during the time out of mind, uh, you know, writing process, I, I wonder like, was this one? Was this another one like Mississippi, where like? Yeah. He, he had it ready to go. He was recording and he was demoing it and just couldn't nail it. And so he let it sit for four or five years and then came back to it at this point. Yeah. I'm going to go with that. I think he's, he's been sitting on this one. And he, he's, he found a place to make it work. And then, yeah. you know, it doesn't necessarily suit the record and it, it takes it to another place. But I mean, it's a, I'm glad that this song, he got, he got this song out there. It's, it's a, yeah. It's a deep cut. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to great way to wrap things up as as down a note as it seems to end on. Just as sure as we're living, just as sure as you're born, look up, look up, see your maker for Gabriel blows his horn. Yeah. <laughs> it's back to the Bible. Well, that's the final uh as the final strum of a guitar rings out. It's it's that time again. 
Um, the time we've we've let this sit for a while because we weren't doing this during the uh, live show episodes. We have not done this in a while. It's time for the three stars, the three star ranking. We rate these records from a scale of one to three stars, with no half stars. And um, what? Well, what's it going to be, gentlemen? Tim has the guest. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be a three star record. I love it. I'm I'm right there with you. You know, if I if I'm critical of the album in any way, it's um, it's only in a way that it's critical of my deep reverence for Bob. You know, but mm. if I was going to, you know rate this in, in terms of how it relates to other records. It's always going to be a three star. Beautiful. I too give it a three star. And uh, that's in, that's relating to other Bob records. I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite Bob Dylan albums um, in, in a lot of ways. Like I think this is one of his best, just top to bottom, solid, solid records. Like there's not a crack in it really for you to, for, I can't find any like flaws really. It's just, it is what it is. It's a high quality record product. Gentleman's choice. Yeah. Gentleman. This is exactly. truly a gentleman's choice um, or gentle lady perhaps. But this song does end with saying there's no limit to the trouble that women can bring into this world. Uh, so it really, you know, in retrospect with the, that kind of closer and, and an opener about Tweely Dumb and Tweely D, maybe this is a little bit of a boys night record. Yeah. This is a, this is a dude's rock album. Gentlemen, please, you know, <laughs> gentlemen rock. Yeah, it goes. Uh, it goes so many different places over the course of twelve, uh, twelve songs, and and they're all. It's a very dense record. Like I'm still even even today. Like you know, kind of. There's still so much like meat on the bone for some of these these songs in terms of like the lyrics to to dig into and kind of like you know reckon with. Oh, that's like the um, the thing about great art. You know, like I I find too that you can keep going back to this and finding new little. Uh, details and new little moments and lyrical things that maybe you didn't see before yeah, that you didn't pick up before. And plus it also has like, honestly, maybe one of the five best songs he's ever written in Mississippi, right up there. Oh, yeah. Track number two. Yeah. So based on that alone, like, you know, you can't complain. You think that's one of the top five? Maybe not top. I mean, I don't know. That's uh, that might be a little, little bit of hyperbole, but yeah. like, it's a real. Uh, maybe, fucking... I think top five is pretty much in the question if you're talking about like songs since 1970. I would even, I would even 19... go back to the 60s material. Okay, wow. You're, you're maybe. I don't know if you realize what you're saying, Ian. No. <laughs> when, when we get to the episode for the hundredth episode, where we actually go through like our hundred best, or do like that kind of style roundup, like mm, you might, have to, but I don't know. Maybe, we, maybe we'll surprise ourselves. This is coming from the guy who gave blood on the tracks, two stars. I, I, oh, re- wow. I rescinded that, but you know, <laughs> only after much brow beating, I like this album a little bit more. <laughs> I'll say. Sure. Did you review the blood on the tracks bootleg or the 
the blood on the tracks, the official blood on the tracks. We, we did blood on the tracks, and uh, we've done. We did a pretty exhaustive episode or yeah. episodes on blood yeah. on the tracks, and I, we will have to do the blood on the yeah, tracks. Yeah, we didn't do at some point. We didn't do more blood, more tracks, but we did have a very lengthy discussion where about we the, discussed the, the the New York sessions yeah. of Blood on the Tracks versus the Minneapolis sessions of uh, Blood on the Tracks. Do you have, do you have a preference uh, in terms of uh, sound and vibe on those? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I would have to go with the New York one. Hell yeah, hell uh, yeah. I, I I could sense that from a mile away. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks so much yeah, thank for joining us. Do, do you have anything coming up? Any projects in the works or anything to plug to our uh, oh. modest group of listeners? Our growing body of listeners. That's the better I mean, way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got lots of stuff. Uh, I have a my, my record that came out 10 years ago has been reissued. Hooray. That's Hertzville, Yeah, Hertzville, right? right? Hertzville, yeah. It's a great record. So a terrific, a, terrific a album. Bit. Yeah. What's it been reissued on? Uh, on vinyl. <laughs> on the. <laughs> is there a, a label? Uh, oh, there's a label. They're called Endless Recordings. They're from Australia. It's a new label. They started the label, and this is the first thing they're doing. But hey, they're like, congratulations! Whoa. It's the kind of record that people start labels to put out. Yeah, it happened in America as well. The. Ladies and gentlemen, the Hertzville album on the Endless label. <laughs> I love saying it that way. The lazy, lazy gentleman. Yeah, well, this is <laughs> this is uh, this is like saying you know the the Love and Theft album on the Columbia Records label. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Jack Ladder is the name of the artist, and. Re- releases really wherever fine records are sold um, and online. Um, it's you're playing shows now too, right? Like Australia, live music is happening. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, so just look up tickets to Australia. They they're probably pretty affordable right now. Oh no, the tickets are expensive. Okay, so it's going to be a pretty uh, penny to see Jack Ladder perform live. <laughs> yeah, they're doing this weird thing where we're playing like big theaters, but like minimum capacity. Wow. play a 2000 seater which we'd never play but only sell like 600 tickets so it's just like a really empty theater that's, which is that's kind of cool people are like all there's like four seats in between everyone in the audience that kind yeah. of thing yeah that's so weird you know yeah. that there's that thing where bob dylan like played for an audience of one guy in a big theater once Oh really? It was like this promo, like I don't know, some like weird event. Like, yeah, he played to just this one guy, and there's a little video about it. I didn't know anything about this. And he clapped. How much did it cost to get Bob Dylan to just do a private show? Yeah, two, three thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. Well, thank you. Uh thank you again for joining us, Tim. I think this was uh this is a real this is a, a real hoot and a real great way to uh, to to kick off the 21st century of Bob's recording career. Maybe the best century of of all the centuries he's been recording in. Maybe I'm I'm, I'm, I'm biased, but I, the only one with Tempest in it. That's right. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to his 80th birthday record. Oh, I hope that there's a record, but 
We all should be so lucky. What what there for sure will be is a, a new episode of Jokerman. Every step of the way we walk the line. Your days are numbered, so I'm bored. Time is piling up. We struggle and we stray. We're all boxed in, nowhere to escape. City's just a jungle, more games to play. Trapped in the heart of it, trying to get away. I was raised in the country, I've been working in the town. I've been in trouble ever since I set my suitcase down Got nothing for you I had nothing before Don't even have anything for myself anymore Sky full of fire Paint on down Nothing you can sell me I'll see your ground All my powers of expression I thought so sublime Could never do you justice In reason or rhyme Only one thing I did wrong Stayed in Mississippi A day too 